Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Pastor. Dr. Robin. It's a new week. Yeah, but you know that skip of my step that was there last week uh-huh. is not present today. Oh no. What how'd you lose how'd you lose your skip? Well, I'm really concerned about the post office well, and yeah. what's going on with that. So uh, in fact, I, I checked my email this morning and I get the informed delivery so I can, can see what mail is coming. There's no mail coming today. Hmm. I get mail every day. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am a, one of the organizations that I work for um, still cuts me a check for my uh, work oh. for them. And um, I, I am going to have to have a conversation with, <laughs> with their, yeah. uh, you know, with their finance person this week and say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. Is there is there an alternative to yeah uh, to this to this check mailing thing? I mean, I I want to do everything I can to support the postal service. I want my I want to keep mailing things, and for my business that I I mean, I mail right I mail right. you know a hundred packages a week sometimes. Right. I I want to keep doing that. I also know that you know. There's there's going to be some some weird stuff happening, and we were already starting to see delays. Um, yeah, and I was watching the the news this morning, and the the V those who are veterans who are on VA benefits, uh, the U.S. Postal Service is used to mail prescriptions, right. and so there are thousands, tens of thousands, maybe yeah. of veterans who are now unable to get their medicine from the post office. And I was listening to one report that a veteran had to drive two hours round trip to pick up their medicine. And they're able to do that, but not every, you know, not every veteran is able to drive. I just think about the complex PTSD that many veterans live with. And so this is, this is not just about a ballot. This is about the Correct. well-being of people who who we have sent to war and now we are not supporting. Right. So these are very complex issues that that I think nobody really thought of the impact of the cost, the cost benefit analysis of slowing down the mail. Right. That that and PPE. There's a significant amount of yes. PPE that's being sent through the mail right now. And, yes. you know, that I mean, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and not only mm-hmm. can we not get medication to people, but we can't get the preventative PPE in the hands of those that need it most in order to make sure right. that this pandemic um, wanes enough that right. the country can continue. Um, yeah, it's it's right. a, it's a mess. I mean, it's just a big mess and and we don't at all have an administration that is supporting um any kind of solution based right conversation uh right all you know figure out how we can how we can enhance the the ways that it's a shit show so Mm -hmm. that um they they believe that it will benefit them in the long run which is just yeah that's disastrous yeah. It's disastrous. Yeah. Well, you had a bit of a of a of a break last week. You you took mm-hmm. a, a couple of days to rejuvenate and refresh and um, spend some time um, out in in the out in out in God's God's green country near and a God's lake. Country. And yeah, you were <laughs> you were you were you were doing you were doing the hard work, well, hard for many of us of of relaxing and, and self-care yeah. and, um, 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're back. I miss yeah. you. Um, yeah. But I'm also glad that you had a chance to, to, to be with your partner and take some yeah, time. Yeah. You know, and- we, I feel like as a, as a society, we actually don't do the work of realigning with the work or, or restoring ourselves to the work. And so I just took time to, um, I mean, this house was secluded. We didn't see anybody for days. And, um, you know, we rented a boat and we went out on the boat. I didn't wreck the boat. Thank God. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, it was just really nice to, um, th- there's a porch on the second story of this house. And, you know, I would just sit there and look at the lake and look at, um, the, the woods that are around us and, um, was just really amazed that I could be in such a beautiful place. And it got me thinking about, and I, I can't wait to talk with our guest about this a little bit. It just got me thinking about how beauty will save the world and, Mm. and, and where do we find that beauty and what, what is that beauty that will create conditions for salvation? Um, some of that beauty is certainly in people, but in music and dance in movements in food, um, certainly art. Um, but it just got me thinking about beauty in, in a, in a different way. And so, yeah, I had a great time and we ended up cooking all of our food ahead of time. So all we had to do was heat it up because you never know what the house is going to have. And, Thankfully, um, Lindsay and Andrew Krinks had given us a heads up about this house. They had gone there um, about a month prior, and so they had done all the research. And so I just want to give a shout out to the Krinks who um, told us how to do it and how to be safe. And um, we really enjoyed ourselves. And, you know, I it, it was one afternoon I was just needing to like take a siesta like I do every afternoon and I, I needed some alone time. And thankfully Aaron was like, you know, I want to go swimming. And so we did our own thing and it was so good to just rest and have alone time and be in solitude. Like I would make a very happy hermit, you know, we know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there was something really beautiful about, that we didn't have to do everything together all the time that we could like do our own thing. And there was something really beautiful about coming back together and like, okay, let's have a bourbon and let's talk about our afternoon. I was in bed. What did you do? You know, (laughs) (laughs) that is, that is a pretty daily happy hour conversation for you. How was your afternoon? I was in bed. What did you do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was really great, and um, I needed the restoration. And you know, it, it also got me thinking about because I went swimming in the lake, and you know, I like jumped off the boat into the water, and um, was thinking a lot about my book and like what is a body and what is the relationship of water to the body. And so I think I got some ideas to write about. I just got to sit down and start writing, but it was a great week. Um, I'm glad I had plenty of bourbon and um, it was lovely. I'm glad to be back. I would say I am shocked, but I am not shocked. (laughs) I'm glad you're back though. So today um, finds us with um, an amazing, an amazing guest, a guest that, that you have had the pleasure of joining on his podcast. A yep. few times, yep. and we now have the privilege of having him join with us. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you? Why don't you tell everybody who we're who we're who we're inviting into the convo today? So I, I like this guest because we share a cultural heritage of being Latinx, um, and I like to call Dr. Dan Whitehodge a Latinx. That Latinx. He is both black and Latinx. And so we what I really love about Dan is is not only his scholarship and the ways in which he remixes theology with hip hop and sort of the cultural invention of contextual theology that way, but his um, posture of welcome. He has always been so welcoming to me, had me in his class, took some heat 
for having me in his class because they look me up on the interwebs and you know, I, I just make people nervous when they see me on the interwebs. I don't, I don't know why. I have that story too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, very happy to welcome Dr. Dan White Hodge, professor of theology over at North Park um, Seminary or North Park University, I guess it is. Maybe the seminary too. Really happy to have you, Dan. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, great to be with y'all. I can't wait to get started. Where, where you're in Chicago? Lots is happening in Chicago. <laughs> where do we start this conversation? Oh my goodness. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm definitely honored. I've enjoyed uh, listening to this podcast, um, and uh, it's just it's great to be on here. Y'all have some amazing guests. So when I was looking at the the guest role, I was like, oh my god, this is. This is awesome, man. I feel amazing, man. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I am in Chicago. This is a weird time. Um, I feel like in just not just where the planet is. Um, uh, it's a weird time just in terms of us as a human species living on this planet. Speaking of planets uh, and and where we find ourselves with technology, where we find ourselves with information, where we find ourselves, how we understand even each other, right? Am I going to trust you? Am I going to see you as a threat? Am I going to see you as an enemy? Do I want to destroy you? Or will I allow your experience to change me? And I feel like we are at an apex in this, in this world. And then you, to bring it in even closer, and you think about Chicago and the history of this, this city, um, you know, we're, we're still working out a lot of those things here. And so I find myself at a university that is, you know, it's a private Christian college. And, um, you know, there it's it, it, it is in the space that I feel like a lot of private Christian colleges um, are, are finding themselves. One, financially, they're tuition driven. So, you know, we don't have large endowments um, when I when right. I, right, right. And, you know, when I taught in California, I was part of the Cal State university system and so you know they called it early on right they were like back in may they're like we ain't having fall classes uh, mm -hmm. and you know we're just not in that position right now to do that and so we're trying to navigate all that we're try trying to navigate you know uh working with a new president that uh has uh any person of color under the authority and thumb of somebody white and usually it's white and male uh, mm -hmm. and trying to navigate right. that space um I feel fortunate enough to be tenured and 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 be a full professor, so I, I get some freedoms. Uh, but I was yes, I was listening to 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 y'all talk a little bit there, and uh, it is it it's a time where people I had people print out um, and send it to the provost and 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 the president. This is before the we got the new president. Uh, like two years of my social media, right? Like this thick piece of paper <laughs> thing, and in color, no doubt. They just they printed out my Twitter. Um, and sent it and they were like, you know, with a letter attached saying, is this the type of Christian in quotes, uh, that North Park allows? Um, mm. <laughs> well, I mean, mm. this is, this is a podcast. We are a triptych of heretics right now. Let me tell yeah, you, right here. every one of us has been, has been, uh, side -eyed and censured. Yes. There we go. <laughs> and side -eyed, side eyed by the church, man. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we are, we are making a pretty trio right now. That's for sure. Love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I do. I find myself in that. Um, and, you know, because of tenure and, and, and full professorship, I mean, there is the issue of legality. Like if I'm fired over, oh, well, he said this on Twitter. It's like, well, what case are you going to make? There is always the case. And this is in our faculty handbook. And this goes out to anybody who's thinking of getting into higher ed, who has been in higher ed or knows. I mean, you know, there's all these little things that they write up, but especially in private Christian schools the issue of quote unquote being a Christian and that is so loosely defined. And there's so many nonverbal connotations that go along with that. Right. Um, what kind of Christian? Well, who did you vote for? And, you know, do you support, you know, women having the right to choose what to do with their own body? And it, all those things are implemented in there. We tried to get a, well, we ended up successfully getting a gender studies minor approved, but you know, we had to go through hell to get it. I mean, so many people mm -hmm. like, well, are you going to be teaching the biblical standards of marriage and sexuality? And I was like, what the hell is that to even begin with? Yeah. 
Yeah. What, yeah. So yeah. that a man can go out and get like, you know, nine or 12 women because, you know, he feels like his wife can't uh, produce. I mean, you know, uh, talking about that, right. we're talking about rape, right. we're we talking about incest. What, what, what biblical understanding are you talking about? And so, um, yeah, it was it, it was it was fascinating and stuff. And so, I, you know, finding myself trying to wrestle that and, um, you know, I've been on kind of a I don't want to say it's interesting, Dr. Robin, that you talked about, you know, resting, because I feel like that's something that I've been trying to really do over the last two, three years uh, and really use it as a form of protest. Um, I did that this summer. This, mm. I just felt like there was just all these meetings and all these things that needed to be happening. And everything was just right now, right now, right now, right now. And I'm like, what? Yeah. No, no. And I'm going to take this month of July and I'm going to take it off. I'm going to put my auto reply on and that's going to be that. Um, yeah. And seeing what rest does, you know, I'm trying to get into like, you know, energies and chakras and third eyes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like seeing how much your body is affected by just the stress, the external stress. And I feel like every day is something new in the world that we're living in. So it's like I needed to take yes. that time and just be with family, be outside in the yard, walking, doing something physical, you know, uh, fishing uh, and you said bourbon I, I love me some some bourbon and and you know a nice I'm single barrel here. you know what i'm saying so uh yes mm -hmm. uh you know i found myself doing a lot of that and i finally feel like this was the first time i've gotten to a point where i didn't feel guilty because i think that's the other side of it especially being a person of color guilty of taking that rest because there's always the, the voice right that is in the back and that says yeah but you taking this time off but look what's happening and this was right on the heels of george floyd um, you know, and all mm -hmm. the stuff that was happening, you know, uh, stuff was, you know, stuff, the uprisings were happening, you know, literally a block from where I live at in Chicago. So it's just like, whoo, let me take a breath here. Let me take a, you know, take a, take a deep breath, center myself. And, um, yeah, and, and I think those are, those are great things. I think, uh, since about 2018, I haven't really been out to speak anywhere. And, uh, I think that's, more of a blessing than I see, uh, rather than the curse that I personally think that it is, because there's the ego side of me that wants to be like, well, how come nobody wants me? How come nobody wants? So I'm trying to, again, recraft my narrative. So there's not always just all oh, the world against me, but also to see just, hey, right now you don't have to get on a plane. Right now you don't have to go out and try to provide everything and and. and it's 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 been good. It's been liberating. You know, a lot of talks with my therapist and, and trying to process those deeper things mm -hmm. of wanting to be wanted and wanting to be liked. that still go back to my own childhood trauma of growing up in a small, racist southern mm -hmm. town. And I'll stop there. Let me. Yes. You, you asked a question. That was a long winded. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. But I just want to say that, you know, we follow each other on the Instagram and. I saw a picture of you and your dog <laughs> yes. and you, and you have this, you have this little poodle and yeah. I don't know if it's a male or female, but they were driving yes. with you in your yes. car. So here you have, here you have this black man with this little bitty dog <laughs> driving around Chicago. Tell me about that. <laughs> what, what, what prompted well. that? It's Chester. That is, he's our toy poodle. Um, he actually came to us via, so my in-laws, my partner's uh, mom and dad stayed with us for about two years and it was, Chester was their dog, right? And uh, my father-in-law, okay. he had Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and so he had to be moved on to a different facility. So obviously they, you know, couldn't take him. So when they moved out, they were just like, well, Chester gets along with everybody. Um, can you just stay here and we're just like well of course you know so and he's just he's like my little buddy i mean he, don't get me wrong he is who he doesn't know how to dog he's always been treated as a as, as a human and he does not know how to dog and so yeah he um he wants to sit on your lap he's definitely a lap dog and but it's i think more than that it's just the connection with him because he just wants to chill and you wouldn't know it i mean if you saw him he's mm -hmm. a he's a pretty active little dog for being he's about to turn 13 years old and yeah. Oh, wow. And he's just as active as all get out. And we took him to the vet and they were like, no, his heart is good. And, you know, you could probably get another, you know, five years out of this, this, this little thing and stuff. And so it's just gets cool to have him. He likes to go driving with me and sit, you know, sit on the side. 
Um, and, uh, and look out the window. He will bark at any, in just about anything and everyone that he can. So most of the times I, I keep my yeah. window up. Um, but he also likes to sit in the back and just with the window down and he will <laughs> stick his head out and wind. Even if it's, I'm driving at 60, he'll just want to be out there just with, with the wind. But yeah, it's been fun to have him have him because definitely get into conversations in regards to people just, you know, they love poodles, right? And he's a killer too, man. That's the thing people think, mm-hmm. oh, he's a foofy little dog. Nah, man, this dude is, he, um, he's, and not that I condone it, but it's like, hey, he's a dog, man. But, you know, he goes after squirrels. I mean, and he's, right. poodles are, are great hunters. Yeah. He's like, he's like your weapon of mass exactly. destruction. Exactly. <laughs> I, I feel very seen in this conversation. I feel, I feel very seen. Um, Dan, I too have a dog that doesn't know how to dog. She is um, spoiled to the hilt. She is super chill <laughs> she loves to go to the dog park and wrestle with her friends but then as soon as that's over she's like is it time right. to rest um i mean she has definitely gotten her love for siesta from her um from from robin um and uh she's yeah she she does the same thing she sticks her head out the window we call it yes. flying and so she <laughs> wants to fly and she i mean that head is out the window and she is uh yeah she's the she's the love of my life um her name is Ruthie Bader, and um, she is. She takes her SCOTUS duties very seriously, <laughs> and will judge mm-hmm. you. She judges me every day, so I love it. I love. I love. I love a person that loves an animal. It's. It says says a lot about us as, as human beings. For Absolutely. Sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I would love to talk a little bit more about what's going on in Chicago mm-hmm. right now. Um, we've had a weekend of unrest, um, another weekend of unrest in Chicago. Things are, um, really in some ways accelerating from a, um, from a, a BLM standpoint. Um, people are up in arms about, um, your mayor, um, uh, you know, how, how do you, how are you finding things right now? Um, in your city? Well, that's a great question. I think um, they're tense. Uh, they're very tense, especially in hot pockets around the city, which tends to be like where I live on the west side, Austin neighborhood. It, there's a lot of tension um, in regards to just between, you know, police and 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 community, just people in general. Um, of course, the south side, I'm a little bit further from the south side, um, but you know, that's always a hot spot. And there's particular boroughs and, and, and spaces there that are hotter than others. And when I say hot, I literally mean, you know, with cops buzzing around. And I think what a lot of people don't understand and having grown up in this environment in, on, on the West Coast, but policing seems to be the same just about no matter where you go, particularly here in the U.S., is that there's a lot of times that, you know, police officers just don't they they don't respect just the presence of you just just being and, and, and just being, just being, just being there and taking up that space. And so, you know, it'll turn into some type of agitation. Who are you? Why are you doing this? And oh, why, what's going on? And you look like a suspect. This And then those type of things and interactions, while it may not result in an arrest or result in a lot of the heinous uh, films that we've been seeing of, you know, of particularly P- POCs and, and black folk being being killed, um, it creates a sense of of tension, of anger, uh, of hate, you know, between community members and, and police officers. Now, I've worked in, in spaces where there was uh, good action from defunding the police um, in, in a way that gave the community the monies and the systems that they needed. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of something like that for about a year and to really see it work so that when there were issues that came up, People didn't necessarily call the police right away or if 911 was called, there were specific officers that were dispatched to a to a neighborhood that we all knew that actually came from that neighborhood. And they were able to call one of us in an organization be like, hey, look, Ray Ray over here tripping. Now, this is what's going to happen if if we we don't you know, if we don't somebody don't get a hold of Ray Ray. But we wanted to start with y'all. So, you know, somebody could show up, talk with Ray Ray. Ray Ray, what's going on, brother? What's going on? Mm -hmm. What's happening, man? Talk to us. Um. That type of engagement I've seen with great success. Now, of course, mayor changes, funds move around. Um, 
And I feel like, you know, when it comes to money, if people had invested the amount of energy it's taking right now, I mean, the bridges are still up. I mean, right now they're down. But last night they were still up here in Chicago for downtown. It's like, you know, downtown has kind of been, you know, quarantined off from, you know, the rest of, of, of the city. And I'm like, wow. So you're protecting all these merchandises. You're protecting all this, this really white owned property. Um, and you, right. if you had done even a quarter of that energy and the amount of frustration that the mayor and the mayor's office had about people who came down there and looted and put that towards <laughs> some of the demands that people were talking about. Oh, my gosh. Imagine where we could be. And so you, we find ourselves in that. Um, and then we also find ourselves and this a lot, oftentimes a lot of what people don't talk about is just even among the activist community, figuring out what the hell are we going to do? And, you know, it's almost the old school Booker T. Washington and W. Du Bois debate, right? It's like, which way are we going to go? Are we going to lean towards working within the system? Are we going to try to recreate our own system? And those those arguments are still going on. And I hate to put things in such a binary perspective, but there are still those. I mean, we see that even with you know, postings right now of, you know, of Kamala Harris and, and whatnot. There are folks who are saying, nah, right. man, you know, we can't have her. And how are you going to support Biden and this and this and that? And other folks are saying, like, look, I get those arguments, but we dang sure ain't going to keep this person who's in office right now. And like, so those tensions and those there's there's those that exist right now, and at least in some of the conversations I've started to have with folks and and um so, yes, and, you know, the fact that police aren't using body cams, even though this was what was written into, you know, essentially law, you know, and when people were asking, you know, the police chief and the mayor about these things, you know, their response is always like, well, those if those folks, that's what's really going on. Those people need to be held accountable. And I'm like, I, I don't know. You just get hear, tired of hearing some of the same things, that, at least for me, I've been hearing, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, some of the same things. Right. It's like mm -hmm. Rebuild L.A. Mm -hmm. promised four billion dollars to the quote unquote riot zone I, to this day. I don't know where that money went. I don't know whose pocket it went into. I don't know. I don't know where those, you know, 500,000 jobs that were promised to the you know South Central area went. And we are still seeing some of the same things um, happening. And, and also along with the frustration that people feel about the gentrification of our communities as well. And I think that continues to be mm -hmm. an ongoing frustration um, and point of, of, of contention as well. You know, Dan, you, you talk about this binary of, do we want to create our own system or do we want to work within the existing system? And I think that that has been the political imagination for mm -hmm. decades, right? Um, um, we'll create the NAACP and we'll create an institutional home for Black people. Um, that still is in some ways undergirded by a yes, culture of supremacy. Right. Because, inst because right. institutions follow the lead of other institutions that have right. seen success, right? Right. So you have things like the double the NAACP, um, and then you have sort of um, just unregulated evil um, in things like white supremacy that creates such cultural harm. I wonder, actually, you know, because you are a student of culture, you're a student of the streets, I wonder if the streets provide a different way, a third way for us to think about a political imagination. And I wonder, I wonder if you could just riff off that a little bit um, to get us out of that. Binary oh, absolutely. Thinking. I mean, I, I think back to 94, really, honestly, and this is for me in my own lifespan. And I know this is even before that. Uh, but, you know, before the, before we started recording, you know, we were talking about Tupac and, and his work, you know, Tupac in 94 was actually trying to create from the streets a, and he would call it a hip hop political candidate, not a Republican, not a Democrat, uh, but somebody actually from the community funded to actually go in and speak right to these these matters and not necessarily another senator, uh, not necessarily another, but a, a different way of coming at things uh, rather than it just being, well, liberal, you're conservative and this and this and that or a centrist and whatnot. Um and unfortunately, I mean, I mean, he was raising money. I mean, at, at that point, he had like five hundred thousand um, dollars 
And, you know, he was hoping for the 2000 presidential election at that point. Um, of course, his life was cut short um, a, a year later and uh, or two years later, excuse me. And, and that was never seen or come to fruition. There was so many other things that get caught up. But there has been I mean, my mom was part of the, you know, the Black Panther movement back in the in the, in the late 60s and early 70s in, in, in Berkeley. And so that hearing her talk about some of the things that were going on then, right? The, the, the streets do provide, and I put those in air quotes, right? The streets, but folks from the margins have all kinds of great ideas and ways. I mean, it's as simplistic as this. It's like I was telling somebody yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. I was like, okay, are you from Colombia? No. Okay. Do you know anything about the politics of Colombia? No. So it would behoove you then if somebody from Colombia who grew up there, who was involved in that environment, told you something that was going on in Colombia, you probably believe them, correct? Well, more than like I say, exactly. So that's essentially when we hear this whole thing about, oh, all lives matter. It's like, no, they don't. Not until black lives matter. And if I'm telling you because I've grown up with this skin color, what's going on, it would behoove you to listen to that rather than to try to undermine that or try to, you know, sidestep it in, 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 in some way. And so folks from the margins have always had that. And I think, you know, Tupac was trying to do some of that work, a lot of that work uh, back in the 90s, uh, back before, you know, hip hop had completely, it's commercial hip hop, had completely sold its soul to, uh, you know, booty and hoes and, and stripping and all that stuff like that. And not that I'm mm-hmm. against hip hop. Don't hear me. Don't, listeners don't hear that. I'm not, I don't hate trap. I like, I like me some trap music, but I think there are broader subjects than to talk about <laughs> than what's being played right now in current commercial hip hop and rap. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't tell, like we've heard this story before, like you can't tell the story of black folk in this country without the FBI. Nothing that black folk have established as a group thing has, has successfully stood time. I mean, you think about black wall street, you think about Harlem Renaissance, you think about jazz <laughs> blues i mean it's like you know people don't mm-hmm. know a lot of the history of even these musical genres and hip-hop is quickly becoming that as well i'm a musician and i have my own studio and i'm always amazed at how many ads i get for buy this sound pack from this amazing hip-hop producer and some little white guy 18 not that they can't produce but i'm like bruh you Look, man, you don't you don't know the culture, bro. You weren't there at some of these momentous right. movements and occasions. You weren't there trying to fight for freedom of speech. When you think about what you know, uh, what's his name from a Two Live Crew and stuff. Not that I condone their music, but what they were standing for uh, was what I was. You know, it's like, but that's just it, right? And I think that those are some of the areas that I think we. We are, we are struggling to try to figure out, and there's this reckoning right now. In my neighborhood, there's all these signs of Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. I'm like, okay, cool. But I still don't feel comfortable walking around some of these, these neighborhoods was predominantly white because am I going to get the cops called on me? My daughter rides horses and stuff, man. It's like I hate right. leaving the city. I hate having to go out there, not because of what she's doing. I love what she's doing. I'm going to support her to the day I die. But it's the culture and the mindset. As soon as you leave, man, don't tread on me. Blue lives matter. You know, Trump Pence 2020, you know, Confederate yeah. flags. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, so I just wonder what those look like. But yes, to, to answer the question, sorry, again, going off, man. It's, it's, um, it's, it, there, there are many things within the streets that, that can be uh, taken into into if you want to take it there, you know, we can go up on on the hill and that could be done. Uh, oftentimes, you know, well, more than oftentimes, most of the times, none of those those voices are are heard. You know, one of the things that I think that that we forget about the streets is that the yes. streets tell a story, and before. Before the commercialization and the commodification of rap, because I get it, people people need yes, a dollar, yes. people need a hustle, and so I get it that why they went with big companies, and whatnot. But we need to remember. I mean, this is this is why I moved back to the American South as an adult um, to remember my roots, to remember the story that shaped me, and we need to remember that the streets of Black America 
the the hoods um you know that have been impacted by redlining and whatnot the these streets tell a story and the people who make up this narrative um it there's a story of resilience there's a story of struggle there's a story of hope and there's a story of tomorrow all wrapped up together in in the story of the streets and if we can figure out um, a political imagination that incorporates these stories we might be able to branch out from under this binary of red and blue because i don't believe that either side is our salvation certainly the gop has no moral compass but the democrats are also not innocent now that's our only choice um this november so we so you know like we have to vote for something other than what's currently in office but how do we recover these stories from the streets how do we mobilize these stories from the streets because just as just as Anna was talking earlier, um, you know, there's there's a law on on the Tennessee governor's desk to criminalize mm-hmm. street activity, protest, um, anything that anything that anything that goes against um, sort of state yeah. perfection, yeah. if you will. And so, how do we mobilize? these stories from the streets so that we can build this imagination, this political imagination that isn't tied to, you know, American politics <laughs> as it is right now. Ooh, Dr. Robin, you're going to ask that question. <laughs> look, look, but, but here's the thing. I asked that question of, of a black man because white people who are mostly listening to this podcast, um, they think that voting blue yeah. Yeah. is going to be yeah. their salvation. And and I want to remind people the Democrats are not innocent. Yes. Well, and, I- and 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 we have stories from the streets that point us in a direction. Um, and and yes, there are poor white working people. Um, they they tell a story that that isn't succumb to this Democrat narrative. I just I just want people to have an imagination, and and we don't right now. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Anna. What were you going to say? Well, I was I was just going to you know, Dan, you bring up you know you bring up Tupac, and for our listeners that um, are just coming to know you know your work in the world, you've written a book that was published last year called baptized in dirty water which is a a, a a amazing commentary on the life of tupac and the ways that his music and his life intersect with our understanding of the gospel um but you know when when tupac was was writing in the early 90s i mean on the heels of what we assume were the los angeles riots in 91 and 92 i, I so I, I am a little bit of a confession here. Like I'm a, you know, white Gen X lady who um, really has an affinity for Tupac and his life and his music. And, you know, in the, in the album liner for Trapped, Pac writes, you know, we are trapped in our own ghettos. And, and, he's, and he's talking both black people and other people. And some people are bragging about that, he says. White people can go anywhere except the ghetto, and we can't mm-hmm. go anyplace but the ghetto. Who do you think has who do you think has the best of that deal? Yeah. Mm. And he goes on to say, we gotta be smarter and we've gotta be sharper, or they're gonna start taking away each and every person that steps forward to do something positive for the community. So that's why if you're wondering why everybody wants to live a negative lifestyle, Tupac says for us, it's safer. Those are the words of of a prophet from the early 1990s saying almost the exact same things that our BIPOC friends in neighborhoods 
in, in 2020 are understanding in real time. And these stories of the streets, this this reclaiming of our understanding of of what's going on in the streets. I mean, I mean, you you know Tupac way better than I do, Dan. And yet, like, I still have an I still have a radical understanding of you know thirty years later, like or twenty years later, what we're up against. No, thirty years later, thirty years later, what we're up against from a um, you know, from a community understanding and, a, and an understanding of the streets and, and what those streets can, what they have the possibility to gift us and what they have the possibility to take away from others when it comes to the understanding of those that live in those streets. Um, I, I just, I'm, 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 I think that as we look at the the way that this election is going to um, manifest both the potential for a lot of us to get out from under the thumb of a supremacist, racist, wannabe dictator. It's going to still illuminate all of the bullshit that, that, that is, that is, that is bubbling up that that we just simply can't, you know, can't rid ourselves of. Um, you know, you guys were talking a little earlier about the binary, and uh, you know, I mean, here in Chattanooga, we've got, you know, we have a there's a big disconnect right now since the since the announcement of Kamala Harris as Biden's running mate between our um, leaders of color in our activism spaces and our white followers of the movement around who Kamala is and what she brings to the table. And a lot of, I mean, you know, there's this whole missive and this whole uh, uh, misunderstanding going on here in our community locally of like, how could you possibly imagine voting for some, not voting for a Biden-Harris ticket? Like what, what is that? Like, <laughs> what do you think you're doing? And we have black and we have black leaders saying, oh, we know exactly what we're doing. Like, let let me let me spell this out for you. Um, and I'm sorry, like I'm going I'm going on and on. But this this understanding of 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 what the streets and what communities are up against, um, regardless of whether we're talking about, um, you know, m- moving, moving the dial on liberation for others or whether we're talking politics or whether we're talking the arts. I mean, it doesn't matter The the story that the streets tell us are critical. And especially for people like me, white people that are listening to this podcast, if we aren't really critical of, or if we aren't really don't become better listeners as to what's happening and coming out of the voices of these communities, um, we 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 are not going to find ourselves in any better space, regardless of of who gets inaugurated. I agree, in and I also think, and and that's and that's part of it. I mean, I think that's part of Dr. Robin. You asked, you know, like what the mobilize. I mean, part of the work that I that I do um, is 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 an educator. So I I, I try to educate, and so um, that mm-hmm. for me is is a big form of hip hop. People think hip hop is just the music. It's not. I mean, there are 10 elements to hip hop I mean, there's art, there's language, there's um, a spirituality. Right. I mean, you know, understanding what those things are. I mean, and this is, you know, I've been trying to take a lot more from, you know, our, our, our indigenous uh, uh, fam as well, you know, and being part of the earth. I think it was uh, Caitlin Curious who was talking about, you know, like taking off your shoes. I have a thing about taking off my shoes, mainly because I grew up in a poor household and the floors was always nasty. And so I don't like taking off my socks. Like I, I even sleep with my socks on. So it's like, but being part of the, and being part of that, I mean, that goes into that hip hop connection. And so that's part of how I've, I've been uh, engaging with that, of course, through music and poetry, uh, uh, mu- music. I mean, I do a lot of my own, I have my own studio recording studio here. So it's like, that's been a large part of that as well. Um, and putting that, you know, in, in, in but the part I'm having problems with, and maybe y'all can 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 help me in, in y'all's great wisdom, and I'm not saying that facetiously, I'm, I mean that, uh, is the loss of hope, uh, particularly 
so my demographic of area of study is usually between the ages of 18 and, and 28. Um, if I can get younger, that's great. But it, if anybody who's done uh, research and you have to get past IRB, working with teens and kids, especially at a university that's not an R1 and has the funding, uh, it's just it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. So mm -hmm. just, just to, to eliminate that nightmare, right. I, I just 18 to 28. Um, but it's it's what what concerns me is the amount of disillusionment. And this is no new thing. Right. It's, I mean, this is what Carmichael talked about. You know, there's liberal disillusionment within the African-American community. And so um, that is what I'm. But it's but it's acute now. It's like, hey, we need to mobilize. We need to go vote. I'm going to go pick you up. I'm going to do all these things. It's like. And the thing is, is like, what difference is my vote going to make? And because we have so much history archived, young people aren't dumb. <laughs> young adults aren't, aren't stupid. In fact, they're very informed. They're going to just go on YouTube and look at, hey, this is what y'all was talking about in 91. This is what y'all was talking about in 1978. And we're still dealing with some of the same things. We're still dealing. And so it's, I don't know how to answer that question because quite honestly, I'm, I'm in that same framework as well in, in, in certain parts of it, right? Now, granted, I'm a little older and I have a career and, and, you know, and a title in front of my name or whatever you want to put in after the, the three letters after my name. Um, but it still gets me because I'm just like, you're right. I asked that question. What is what is the next 10 years going to look like um, with the rise? I mean, they just opened up a, an Amazon huge center. There's, that's really Amazon and places like that are the only places that can inhabit large brick and mortar environments. Uh, the Sears up the street from us, that was the cornerstone for 50 years, closed, closes doors, Kmart closed. Mm -hmm. uh, so Walmart is almost like Wally, you know, it's like by and large, that's the, you know, they might as well just change by and large to Amazon. Amazon's like, you're going to have the one-stop shop all. Yeah. But what's interesting to note about that is that there's not that many employees in that environment. This thing is like three football fields, big, and there's probably less than 50 employees in there. Well, what are they using? They're using machines, machinery, automated. And the rise of automation, automated. this is something that I talk about in my, in my media family and friends uh, uh, class. And this is what I had a friend of mine who works with the government. And that's what he works on. He works on AI. And yeah, I brought him out last uh, semester. And we talked about AI and the rise of artificial intelligence. People don't know the, the, the length of what we've done. And you think about Terminator. We've already transferred thoughts from our brain to a machine and vice versa. That's all. That's all. That was done five years ago. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, the fact that we have, you know, the idea of having flesh covered because people have problems with machines and and looking at them in the, and they, they look a little spooky. So the idea of having natural skin looking and there was a robot. I'm forgetting her name, or at least they identified it, it as a her um, that had over a million followers on Instagram. I'm forgetting her name. I used to follow her. But it, and it was the whole <laughs> the whole account is a is a robot doing things that normal people would do. So mm. we're here, we're there. What is that going to mean for the people who don't, don't have a, a high school diploma, don't let alone anything college, right? Um, and these are the things that I'm trying to think about. It's like, what does it mean if we discover life on Mars, but we haven't even figured out what life looks like here on Earth, in the ghettos, in, in the hoods, right? right? But we've, oh, we got these life on Mars and there's other planets and stars. It's like, right, but we're still dealing with some of the same oppressions. It looks different. It looks prettier. But I get so tired of people talking to me about, oh, the progress that we've made. Yo, man, we ain't made that much progress. In fact, we in fact, so oh, much of it has been erased, you know, and, you know, you got to think about it. You know, the Bushes, because people are like, you know, Bush Sr. was just like, look, I don't believe in the Title IV Act 1964. It's like, I don't believe any American. This was his quote. Any American should have an unequal advantage over another. Right. And these were people who were making decisions. So I'm just like, and these are the things it's like, man, I, I don't necessarily know how to come back at that. I will be voting for a Biden Kamala Harris ticket. I'll just put it out there. And I know that for some people be like, oh, my gosh, how can you do it? I know a lot of the stuff. Yes, I get that Biden's mentor was a racist, a very known Ku Klux Klan member. But I also feel like these are the things that we're presented with. I'm a realist. We're not going to have, uh, you know, uh, W. Du Bois right. and uh, Harriet Tubman are not going to be the running ticket. At least I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime. Right. We're not going to have that. Marx and Engels are not going to be right. on the on, on the on the uh, on the running ticket. So I'm just like, what do we do then with that? 
I don't know. And that's where I struggle because I, I felt like I used to. If you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, oh, we have to mobilize, get in the community to support this and get these funds over here. And now I'm looking around being like, huh, what does that mean? I got my stimulus check and you know what we did with it? Both my partner and I, we gave it to BLM folks, help bail people out, give people food, brought people food, brought the activists, just pragmatic stuff that they could use, you know, uh, you need a shower. Okay. We can, we can help you with mm-hmm. that. You need some underarm deodorant. Okay. We can toothpaste. We can, we can help you with that. Mm-hmm. You need internet access. Okay. You need a GoPro or uh, what do you call those, those, those phones that you just get. Okay. We got that. We can, we can hook that up and that's cool, but I know that's not systemic change. Right. You know, it was just our own way. Right. Both my partner and I to be like, Hey, Fuck it. You know what I'm saying? We're going to use this money that Trump gave us and we're going to put it right back right. into the community and it's going to go specifically to BLM folk and stuff. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a really good answer other than we've, we've continued to do what we're doing here. Uh, but my daughter's growing up in a completely different world. She's born in 06. And so she knows nothing but media and technology, nothing but, I mean, she even is, is she can't get her wrap her head around. Mm-hmm. She asked me, you know, last year, was like, dad, how did you even live in a world before Wi-Fi? <laughs> we were, we've been, we've been making a point to go through all the cheesy meathead Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And last night we watched uh, commando. Um, and uh, in that, yeah, I know it's, it's rough. It's, a, it's our, it's our, it's our trashy television day. <laughs> You know, so yeah, we've done Commando and of course Predator and just all the lines. We I started with her with you know with Terminator and we've moved, made our way up. So he's like he's learning English. He, he's got more than just one liners and stuff and everything. And last night it was interesting because she was asking. There's a whole bunch of scenes in there where you have to go to a payphone and call somebody, and it's just for her. It's just like, huh? Payphone? What? <laughs> why? Why don't they just pull it's out their foreign. phone? Like what? Yeah. What? what? Right. Just like no, that. <laughs> and it's at some point you're going to spring on her that he learned enough English to become governor. Go <laughs> <laughs> oh, get started on that. Lord have mercy oh, on all of our souls. Yeah. I was in I lived in California for for those those eight years of his bizarre, oh, bizarre. Yes, yes, he learned enough, right? Just right. enough to get to make it on the ticket. Oh gosh. <laughs> So, Dan, you talk about Amazon, and they've just put an Amazon facility here in Nashville. And I don't know if you've been seeing the commercials, but Amazon is is investing in zero carbon and renewable yeah. energy. And, like, those are the things that we need to be doing to protect our planet. But at what cost do we do that when it's these big corporations who have the the social capital to do that? And also replace human jobs with AI. Like, I know that's the direction that we're going in, but at what point do we, do we say, you know what, we're failing at this human project? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I think about that a lot, right? I think about even how the rise of the information and technology age, uh, you know, during the fifties, late fifties and sixties, you know, really just swatched out an entire group of folks, particularly Latinx and, and, and black folk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I have family members who were caught up in that, right? It's like, okay, we're moving in the steel industry. We're doing great. Got a great middle-class economy, but now you have businesses that are looking for the best price on their dollar, you know, for labor. Um, and so, well, we'll just move those factories out. And now that we're he- heading into, you know, NASA and aerospace technology and all that creation of, of systems now you have to have all these specialized degrees which once again puts us at a disadvantage and so i think we're seeing some of those things now and you know but if you're only hiring at, at a company you know only 50 people and of those 50 you know 60 percent of them have to have a specialized kind of certificate or something like that to, to maintain right. and run whatever it is you're doing absolutely now we are facing because you're right i'm all for the zero carbon emissions i saw that commercial the other night and i was like oh my this wow you know <laughs> As a communication uh, 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 specialist, I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is some interesting rhetoric and, and propaganda. Right. You know, this idea of, you know, truth to narrative. Propaganda, and exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's about it's a, it's a shifting narrative. Right. This is the trickster um, in corporations where yep. let's give them 
what they say they want for the earth while we also take away all their jobs. Right. Right. And that for me is much more troubling because I'm like, man, are we reaching just another wave? Like we tell, and that's again, going back to activism. It's like, man, you tell folks do this and then we do that. And then you come back and <laughs> you look and systemically, it's like folks who I know if, if Biden and, and Harris win in, in November, um, you know, I know there's already folks talking about, man, we can just get them in office. We can get them in office and, you know, set this thing right. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Right. First and foremost, set what right? And 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 we, we there's a lot to undo. And not only just that, even the stuff before this fool got into office in 2016, uh, there was stuff going on. He's just exacerbated a lot of these things and whatnot. Right. And and. Right. So I don't know. I'm I, I, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with that. I struggle with how believable media is to so many people. I mean, you know, when you think about polling, right? And this goes all the way back to the Kennedy uh, debates, uh, you know, between he and Nixon and, and whatnot. And like that was kind of the beginning, the, the genesis of this notion of what you wear. Um, you know, Nixon even talked about it. He's like, I, you know, I, I, I probably would have had a better standing if, you know, if I had just looked better. You know, on television, mm -hmm. not about what you say, not about how you voted, how you looked or did you apologize mm -hmm. for that? I, I don't care about apologies it's like a thoughts and prayers with gun controls. Like, I don't I don't care about that. I don't want your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like I, wa I want to see some action. And is it going to be some mm -hmm. action? You know, is there going to be some systemic yeah. stuff? And so I don't know. I don't know. Will Harris and Biden do it? I, I, I don't know. The pessimist side of me says, nah, it's going to continue to be the same, you know, but the hopeful mm -hmm. part of me wants to be like, well, Maybe we can begin something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure what that, you know, what, what that looks like uh, in my middle age. You know, I feel like I'm just this middle aged guy. I'm just trying not to yeah. sink too far into my armchair and start yelling at kids. Turn that music down. You know. Yeah. Pick your pants up. Well, and and that's that's why we have these conversations because if if we if we're not willing to have the conversations about the pessimism and the hope, how do we build the kind of world we want to live in? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what, that's why we're having these conversations. Yeah. And hope is that thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And if we all remember deep down inside ourselves that, you know, we have as much capacity as we, we have individual capacity as much as we have capacity as communities and as nations. Um, and so, you know, this, this thing of hope, it, it's, it's not, it, it isn't, it isn't fleeting. Um, and yet at the same time, we need to make sure that, you know, we're, we're creating the possibility for hope to become reality. Um, That's right. With, yeah. with the, with the action that we are, that we are setting in place. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we have loved having you with us. We've loved this conversation. We're so glad that you um, honored us with this time. Um, I'd love for you to share with our listeners how they can find you, how they can be in touch with you, how they can read your amazing work on Tupac. Um, why don't you tell folks a little bit about where they can find you? Absolutely. And again, thank you all for having me. This is this is great to be on here. Um, and folks, I'll make it easy. If you just want to go to whitehodge.com, white like the color, hodge, if you think of dodge with an H, all one word, whitehodge.com, um, you'll find everything. I got all my books posted there and I have sample chapters up. Uh, my podcast, my own podcast, Profane Faith, there's links to that there. It's, you know, it's on all the the networks, so to speak, um, out there. And, uh, there's other writings. I got a few select essays and whatnot and, and, uh, on there, but whitehodge.com. Like I said before, I'm currently in, in Twitter jail for some BS that happened back in June. Uh, and it wasn't, I mean, that was the thing. If you look at the tweet, it wasn't even, there was nothing in there. It was me telling Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes to tell Lecrae that he needs to be reading my, be reading my stuff. And I guess his fan base just went after anybody who was, you know, Basically, you know, disagreeing with Lecrae uh, and his silly self and uh, bam, two, two months later, mm. I'm still locked up on my third mm. appeal. So but I, I do have other social media platforms that so you can go there. Whitehodge.com. Perfect. Well, friends. Thanks, and, Dan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thanks Thank so much, Dan. We're we're grateful. 
Um, Dr. Robin, we, we find ourselves at the end of another week. Um, thanks for doing this work with me, friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get free just like you. And so grateful that we have this particular media to, to explore that. Exactly. Well, friends, don't forget, if you want to be in touch with Robin or I, you can follow us or reach out to us um, on any of the socials. We are at Activist Theology. Um, don't forget that activist and theology share a T. Um, we encourage you to support us through um, liking the podcast, following the podcast, um, rating the podcast, um, unashamedly give us all the stars give us all the thumbs up give us all the all the um good good vibes and until next week we will see you again dr robin let's get free y'all are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. <laughs> <laughs>